Let me ask you to take your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 4 this evening, Ephesians chapter 4. I said last week we were going to do a little quick two-parter last week and this week on uh, word and prayer. Actually, it was going prayer and word. Uh, and so I tried to encourage and challenge us last week for this year to be praying for one another. That, that we would be both focused and fervent in that praying, that we have specific things grounded in God's word that we are seeking on behalf of other people. We're, we're, um, we're working uh, in the combo of life circumstances and heart concerns. Right? We don't want to just stop at the circumstances. We want to think about what uh, what might be wrapped up in the impact of those circumstances on people right so we want to be we want to be seeking god for the grace that they need uh, that that is timely to the circumstances but also to the spiritual realities connected to that right that they might uh, they might respond to those circumstances in ways that promote growth, advance the gospel, that they'd be sustained in them. And so I encourage us as well that when we share prayer requests, we should work to, to try and point that way as well. Rather than just sharing our life circumstance, uh, ask people to pray for things that are our heart concern connected to that. So, so that, that way it deepens and, and directs the prayer, and, and I think it also helps us draw closer to each other when, when we share the burdens that we have about the circumstances that we're facing. Right? So praying for one another in ways that, that would, uh, would be consistent with uh, what we know to be the big issues, right? There, there always is a combo of issues, right? Health concerns trigger heart concerns about the spiritual realm as well. So, so we want to not neglect the fullness of how we would care for one another in prayer, how we would lift each other up in that way. This evening, I'd like to talk about speaking the truth to one another. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, please. And since it's the end or in the middle of a verse, I'm going to read the whole sentence, I should say and then zero in on the middle part. Start in verse 14, please. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Go back up to the beginning of verse 15, because what I'd like to do is, is zero in on that, that, uh, that clause, but speaking the truth in love. Uh, that we, we are propelled, if I could put it forward, in spiritual growth, by truth that is communicated, right? Uh, that, um, that could almost be a given in our mind and therefore we sort of assume that, but we, we should do something better than assume the place and priority of God's truth in our growth, 
right? It is, it is actually the engine of our growth. It is how we are nourished and built up. It is how we're sanctified. Jesus prayed, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth, right? So the progress of sanctification in your life happens through the word. It's, it's progressive sanctification or transformation happens through the word. We all beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being changed into the same image from glory to glory. Right? If, if you want to grow in Christ, you have to have the word. Apart from the word, there won't be growth. And that's, that's just, that's just the way it is. The word brings salvation. The word produces sanctification. And, and so if we're serious about growth, we have to be serious about the word. It also means if we're serious about helping other people grow, we have to be serious about communicating the truth to them. Right? It's, it's, it's important that we speak truth to one another and that's why this text puts it sort of in the center of this, this uh, longer sentence about our growth, our, our maturity and stability in verse 14, and then the, the full outworking of the body in verse 16. It is propelled by the communication of truth to one another. So I'm gonna, just going to unpack that, that statement and then talk about some practical application. Let's start at the end of it, speaking the truth in love. Uh, I regularly circle back to this kind of a concept because it's important for us to be reminded against the, the, the sort of cultural stream of treating love chiefly as an emotion, that we might read that and, he, and actually read it like this, speak the truth lovingly and think it's a sort of a, a manner in which we speak. You, you need to speak in a, in a tender, compassionate kind of way. And I don't believe that that's the point that Paul is making. There, there certainly would be a time for speaking in tender, compassionate ways as a display of love. There's also... Uh, a case to be made for speaking strongly, sternly in love, right? If someone's about to step off the curb into the presence of coming traffic, th- someone would think you're very unloving to go, hey, I'm not sure that's the best idea. Would you sort of think about this choice? They'd go, what are you thinking? You should have said as clearly and as unmistakably as you could. Hey! Because the loving thing to do would be to communicate the truth in an appropriate way. And that's the point of in love. You are actually, you're actually thinking about the hearer and what is in the best interest of the hearer when you're speaking the truth in love. I just, just like a couple other spots in this book where Paul appends these words in love, right? In love, he predestined us. It wasn't, he did it tenderly and compassionately, right? It was, he sought 
our best interest in his determination of these things. Right? Walk in love isn't, you know, walk tenderly, compassionately. It's no, your conduct should be governed by love. So speaking the truth in love is what you're saying of truth should be controlled by the goals and objectives of love. What's in the best interest of the hearer? What pursues the greatest good for the hearer? That's why you can have at times things that uh, now, right, in our, um, I've got got words like wimpy coming out of my head. I'm not wanting to be uncompassionate and untender here, right? But, But we basically have in our culture lost any ability to think that Jesus or Paul were loving in their speech. Right? I mean, think Jesus saying, right? You unbelieving, perverted generation. Or you blind guides, fools and blind men, whitewashed tombs. Get behind me, Satan. Right? I mean, those, you, you hear that kind of stuff in our days. I'm like, oh, wow. That guy's a little harsh. He's a little, a little rough. Because we've shifted the concept of love away from, is it in the best interest of the person? Is it pursuing something that is good for them? We've moved it to a feeling, right? How does it make them feel? How does it communicate your feelings for them? And, and in so doing, we've, we've actually lost the ability to do what the scriptures sometimes call us to do. You know, when, when Paul confronted Barnabas to the face with a charge of hypocrisy, he was speaking the truth in love because he saw what it was doing to the believers in Galatia. And I know you'd get a whole string of people who go, Paul, like, Paul, come on, Paul. You, if you were really loving there, you would have pulled him aside and you would have had a private conversation. You would have found some way to, to take that rebuke and stick it inside of a sandwich of positivity, straightforward speech, and throw another you know, layer of positivity on there. You would have found some way to... To, to do that, Paul, because don't you know that honey uh, gets more bees than vinegar, Paul? Come on. Right? And I say it's, it's, not, it's not the scriptures that's out of step here. Right? It's, it's actually that we have sometimes allowed perhaps abuses, because there are some people that, that, you know, there's no way you could describe the bluntness as being in love, because they were just trying to, you know, take after him. I mean, years, <laughs> ages ago, I found this Chinese proverb, right, that says, do not use a hatchet to remove a fly from your friend's forehead, right? And so about, about 18 years ago, I was teaching about 30 Chinese guys, and I said, I heard this was a Chinese proverb, and they're all looking at me like, we have never heard that, right? <laughs> So some guy in a, you know, in a phony fortune cookie factory just wrote that one down and then we all believed it, all right? 
But it's not a bad idea, right? Your friend has a fly on his forehead. You don't use a hatchet to remove it, right? I, I'm all for, if that's what we're concerned about, we're rightly concerned about it, okay? Because it can be that people are, are not seeking the well-being of others in the way they sort of brutally assault them verbally. I'm not trying to defend that at all. What I'm trying to say is sometimes the truth needs to be spoken, tailored to the situation, and it needs to be oriented at what's going to secure the purpose of truth in them. And sometimes, sometimes that needs to be the flower bouquet. Sometimes it needs to be the direct, bold statement that captures their attention. But at all times, it needs to be motivated by love. We speak the truth in love because we want to see them changed. Biblical love always seeks the best interest of its object. When, when Jesus confronted Peter so bluntly, it was because Peter needed to see the seriousness of his error. You are putting the things of man ahead of the things of God, Peter. Right? That's a serious problem. And Peter, from what we know in the Gospels, needed pretty straight, you know, he didn't take hints well. He needed bold truth to capture him in that. So, so we need to recognize that the in love here doesn't effectively um, drain our truth speaking of any kind of bite to it. If we're devouring people, we're not loving people. But we do need to speak the truth and we need to speak it clearly and, and do that. So I think even in the context, we could probably help ourselves think about whether or not we're doing it in love. Look at verse 15. Is it aimed at growth, right? Is what I'm saying to them aimed at their growth or am I just uh, giving them a piece of my mind? Am I, am I just letting them know how unhappy I am, right? If I'm not actually speaking for their growth, then I'm not speaking out of love, right? So that would be a good way. Does it help build the other person up? Verse 16, because look at the end of verse 16 causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So, so are, are my words designed to be edifying, even if they carry um, a little sting to them, right? So I'm just, I'm assuming the, you know, the kind of encouragement that would be all positive, most of us say, well, yeah, that's speaking the truth in love. So all I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that part of it. I'm just saying, what about when we have to speak boldly and bluntly about some matter? Is it still about their growth? Is it still for building them up? If you can't tie their growth, their edification to your words, then I would say the problem, there is the love problem. Because if you were doing something out of love, it would be for their best interest. So you'd be able to show how this is aimed at their growth. This is aimed at building them up. And if you can't make that connection, 
then you need to back off and think, okay, so what do I need to do to show my love for them through my words, right? How do I do that? And certainly drop down to verse 29, you can see another way in which we would, uh, we would think about that. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is, as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. So, so it should be wholesome, not unwholesome. It should be edifying. It should be timely, according to the need of the moment. Right? So it's timely in what I'm saying to them, and, and it is grace-filled. So that would be helping us understand what it means to speak the truth in love. I go back to 15. Because the means by which we do this, motivation is love, means is speaking. And there is some debate about this because the word that Paul uses here, uh, sometimes you'll people say it's truthing it in love or um, the New Living Translation is, is a little bit more of a paraphrase kind of translation, very dynamic equivalent. They translate like this, we will hold to the truth in love because because it's a different kind of construction for Paul. But most translations see it as having to do with speech. And I think they're correct on that. The reason I think that's correct is because the only other use of this verb is in Galatians 4.16, and it's in a question, telling you the truth. All right, so, so in that context, it's about telling someone the truth. So what he's talking about here is speaking the truth. It's communicating it. And I think the contrast in the verses around it, verse 14, with winds of doctrine, right? It's, it's we shouldn't be pushed around by winds of doctrine or the cunning craftiness of people. But instead of that, we should be speaking the truth. And that's what will cause us to grow up into Christ. And, and in fact, the context emphasizes verbal content. In verse 11, those gifts that are listed have at least this one thing in common. They are all truth communicators, right? The apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are all people who communicate the truth of God. And so that's been the emphasis in the whole passage. So when he talks about truthing it in love, and uses a word that has at least the nuance of speaking or communicating that truth, that's, I believe, the point that he's trying to make. So our motivation is love. The means by which we accomplish this is speaking it, and, and, and that then leads us to the, the message, the truth. And, and the contrast is with verse 14 about the kind of false doctrine that could be spreading around and the building up of the people through true doctrine. And I say that to, to make sure that we don't fall prey to what sometimes can happen, right? This, the worst, the worst, I think, the worst display of this is in John 8, where Jesus says, the truth will set you free. And so that becomes sort of a slogan that, that applies to any and all truth, right? We just want the truth because the truth will set us free. And what Jesus is talking about, the truth there is his teachings, 
because he says, you keep my commandments and follow me. The one who does my will will be my disciple. It's the truth of God that sets you free, not just like true facts, right? Tomorrow is January 22nd. That's the truth. It'll set you free, right? That's not the point of it. And here, it's not actually truth as opposed to lying. If you want that, just look down a few verses, right? He talks about that in verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his, na- with its, his neighbor, for your members are one of us. So there's a text that says, you have an obligation to speak the truth and not lie. He's not saying in 4.15, so here's the key, be honest with one another in love and you'll grow up into Christ. He's not just saying general honesty is what produces growth. He's saying actually communicating the truth of God to people is what causes them to grow. The church is built up when we are, we are word-saturated people. We speak the word to one another. We give one another the truth of God. We speak truth as it's come to us from God. And that's what God uses to produce growth in the church. It causes us to be built up because biblical truth is God's appointed means for producing spiritual growth. That's true. And I think we get that uh, when we think, uh, like when we think basic stuff, right? Okay, so I should read my Bible because then I'll grow, yes. I should listen to faithful teaching of the word. Yes, that's true. But it's also true in the communication between believers to one another. Because because most of our lives is lived in the course of life where we need truth from God and God has given us these great gifts of his word the work of his spirit and his people to speak truth to one another, to exhort and encourage one another while it's called today, that we have an obligation to be, to be imparting biblical truth to each other, word-centered truth, gospel-saturated truth so that we can be growing up into Christ. Uh, and that's that's what makes a healthy church, right? It uh, it is absolutely important that the centralized teaching of God's word be be held in high regard in the church, right? But if the only place God's truth is being spoken among us is when we gather on Sunday, then we have a radically deficient diet of spiritual truth. We're, we're, we're basically going, I'll eat one meal or two meals on the Lord's day and let that carry me for the rest of the week. When we're supposed to have the, the ongoing regular interaction with one another in which we are 
we are taking bits of biblical truth and applying them to bits of our lives, right? And, and it's, it's much, much more simple than sometimes we make it out to be, right? And, and one of the, uh, if I could say this, hopefully I can say this clearly, carefully, right? So one, one of my continual concerns or fear, I'm going to put in a fear, like not as in like it's a sinful fear, but like the kind of thing that would concern me as a pastor, right? We, we have been blessed with, right, incredible resources for teaching God's word, right? There, there are very few churches that have as many people who've invested their whole life in learning the word and being educated to teach it. And, and so here can be the, the, the concern. Other people might feel like, well, you know, I just sort of need to sit back and let the specialists do that. Right? I mean, I haven't been to seminary. What am I going to say to somebody? Right? And if, if we think like that, we're, we're actually harming the health of the body. Right? Because God is teaching all of his people the truth. The word of God is making an impact on your life and you actually happen to be in close proximity to people who need you to share with them the truth that God has taught you so that it can be a help and encouragement to them. Right, So the last thing that should fall on a church is some kind of stage fright about speaking because I'm worried that I you know, might use the wrong word. I might, you know, I might say something wrong. Right? Now, somewhere between people being unafraid to say foolish things and claim it's the Bible, right? somewhere between that and having only a, an, an approved roster of people who can speak truth is the actual life of the body, right? That we should be speaking truth to one another, flowing out of our love for each other because we want to see each other grow. And, and just like I said last week, it should never be uncomfortable for two believers to stop and pray together among the assembly of God's people. Something is clearly off with American Christianity if, if people praying in public is awkward. And I would say for two believers to be sharing truth with one another, or for someone to say, hey, boy, I, I read this in the word and it was just such a blessing. Or someone's going, you know, I'm really battling something. And someone goes, you know, here's something from God's word that I've found helpful. Can I just share it with you? For that to be awkward is not a good sign. And I'm not, here's what I'd say. When I say this, I, I'm not saying, I'm saying it is awkward. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, just think about it abstractly. What an odd thing for believers in Christ who love him and his word 
to feel like it's an awkward thing if somebody starts to share a, a verse of scripture or to, to say a word of encouragement or exhortation. I mean, that would be the reflection of us in our culture having a tendency to live not really like this, right? But spiritually with our arms extended, <laughs> right? We don't want people to get inside the halo to serious stuff. That's what would keep us from sharing a burden for someone to pray for and with us. That's, that would keep us from moving towards someone to say, hey, how can I pray for you? That would keep us, that keeps us from being able to, to, to step out and speak truth to one another. It keeps us from receiving truth. Right? So, so, you know, the levels of conversations, right, can just have to do with circumstances of life, how cold it is, whether we have snow, rain. I don't want to know. Please don't. If you love me, don't tell me. Did the Lions win, right? I mean, how was the game, right? That kind of stuff. That's just, that's easy to have those kinds of conversations. Starting to talk about how we feel about all the circumstances of life takes it a little deeper. Starting to talk about the things that matter most to us is taking it even deeper. And, and lots of times we like to stay up above that exposure line where we have to share something or we have to listen to something because we get, what do I say? How do I handle this? What do I do? Right? And, and we need to, we need to, what I'm, I'm suggesting in both of these messages is the way we can move closer and closer to each other is through the God-appointed means of prayer and speaking the truth. When it starts to become common and comfortable that we can pray with and for each other, that we can speak the truth to one another, we can hear the truth from one another, then what it does is, is, is soften the soil in our hearts, right? It starts to prepare us for growth starts to move us in that direction. So let me just give you two, two ways in which you could think regularly about this, right? When you are in a conversation and, and something comes up and, and it's a conversation about which there's opportunity to talk about biblical truth, two questions or two, two if I could put it this way, sort of overarching goals ought to always be in our mind. We want to help people see life from God's perspective, right? That's what the word gives us. It shows us how to see the world. And so constantly our truth speaking should be helping people see things from the perspective of God, right? What has God said about this? And and that could range from just a word of encouragement that points them to think about what God has said, or could be a kind of exhortation that, that's trying to help them see this, see this from God's perspective as well, right? Because maybe they're, they're opening up about some 
view they have or some response they have that, that is not consistent with how they should be looking at this thing. And by God's grace, you want to just help them see truth that would bring them over to see it from God's perspective, right? Just to see life inside the way God has ordained and, and written to us about it. And the second would be to help them live under God's authority, right? God has spoken about these things. And so all of us need to be living under his authority. How are, how are they, are their thoughts, are they leaning on their own understanding or are they acknowledging God? Right? Is, is, is there evidence there that they're understanding the rule of God through his word and we're wanting to try and help them uh, live comfortably there? Right? So don't assume that there are some rebel. They might, might be uninformed. Right? Well, this, this is the way God says we should handle these things. And, and so what we're wanting to do is constantly be in our own heart, right? Am I looking at this the way God thinks, I, God has said I should look at it? Or just, I mean, let's do really simple stuff. A trial, right? So let me just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quiz you right now. How would you say from the scriptures, I should look at a trial? What does God say should be my perspective of it? You got it. I'm, 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 I'm actually asking you, okay? This is not just a rhetorical question. Uh, actually, not a, not a court trial, like as a, I've got cancer or, or my, that kind of stuff. God has a purpose in it, right? It's a, it, the scriptures would talk about it as a means that God uses to help me grow, to, to have maturity. So what's my response to it supposed to be? If we're talking about James 1, count it joy, right? So, so this trial, and it's count it joy, right? I'm supposed to view it a certain way because it's probably not spontaneously going to be joy. I have to reckon it. I have to think about it, all right? This is something God can use to cause me to grow and bring good. It's something that God could use to produce maturity in me. So I should count it joy. All right, we could probably pile up a bunch of those that you know right now. All right, and, and, and if you see your friend starting to go under the current, right? Their joy is being drowned. They're having no hope in the midst of their trial. The loving thing to do would be to try to help them see it differently than they're currently seeing it. You can, I just want to encourage you to, to step back right now and try to see this from, from eternity and from God's perspective. Right, try to see it that way. Now, I, I was speaking at a, a deacon's retreat for another church 
that's going, you know, has been going through a bunch of trouble. And at one point I said to, you know, cause they were, and there was some, some, just a bunch of stuff I don't want to get into, but, but some of them were taking a hit with false accusations. And I knew that over the course of the conversation, I said, you know, so here's a part of what we have to do. Here's, here's what Jesus says, right? Blessed are you when men revile you and speak evil of you for my name's sake. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Right? And, and I just tried to share with them that, that that has been an anchor in my heart when at times, and I, I said this very clearly to him yesterday, uh, that's never, it's, I mean, it's been the problem. It's, it's really not the problem in our church. It's usually outside our church, right? I mean, I've, I've ended up on videos being sent out all over the country saying the leaven in fundamentalism is Dave Dorn and this, that, and other stuff. And, you know, I, I always go, thank you, Lord, because you just said, great is my reward in heaven. Right? So, so what's being meant for evil against me, actually God is using it for good. Someday, someday, God will know and God will give a reward because that's what he says. Right? So that changed because, because, you know, you know, it could be the response. It could be like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to, you know, whatever. Two can play that game. Right? We could start to drop into the fight. If all we're seeing is this level, right? Sometimes we need to have someone help us see that, right? Sometimes, sometimes it's live under the authority of God. You know, we know it's right, but we're struggling to do it. And we need somebody to just speak a word that encourages us to do the thing God wants us to do, right? That, that we, we may need to think about it. I remember one time, uh, a sort of a complaint of my heart kept coming up. And I didn't think it was really something that was in my heart. And my wife said to me, you know, that's come up a few times now. You probably should think about whether or not you've got the right heart on that issue. And I thought, stink, she's right. Right, but it wasn't, it wasn't like she scolded me. She just observed that there was something that kept percolating up in my conversation about something someone had done. And she just asked the question based on the truth of God. And essentially, it's what I'm saying. The question wasn't, are you living under God's authority here, Dave? It was, hey, you should probably wrestle through whether or not that's an issue you've yielded over to the Lord, right? Just a, a simple word of truth causing someone to grow. We can all do that. We all should do that, right? We should all be ready to receive that. We should all have a heart that loves the word and loves the Lord that so much that we want to grow. And if I'm not seeing things clearly, then it's a blessing if somebody helps me see better from God's perspective. 
if there's even some minor area of, of uh, I mean, rebellion is really the right word, but lack of submission, if you want me to soften it a little bit. Even some minor area, what a blessing it is if somebody helps you see it so that you stop going down the path away from obedience. Because most major failures aren't the first failure. There's a step of disobedience and a lack of submission that comes into our heart where we really don't want to know what God says. We just want to do our thing. So we need to have a heart that recognizes, as I've said before from Hebrews 3, that sin is deceitful. So I might not be seeing things as clearly as I should, and I need someone to help me see better. And it hardens our hearts. So I might not be feeling exactly what I ought to be feeling because I might have deadened my conscience through my disobedience. And I need someone to awaken my conscience by God's truth. Because the worst, one of the worst places you could be in life is to think that you don't need anybody to speak truth to you. Because if you think that you don't have blind spots, you think you aren't insensitive to the conviction of the Spirit at all, you have a major blind spot called pride. And that's the most blinding of blind spots. Proud people have a hard time listening to truth, admitting they're wrong. So a part of what we have to do is tremble before the word and be humble and receptive when people bring the word to us. And they may not always bring it right. right? They, they might be clumsy. They might actually not be saying anything out of love. But at the end of the day, the question for me is, is it true? Right? Because I don't know their heart. So I can, I can use that as an excuse. Well, you didn't speak the truth in love, so I don't have to listen to you. No. Did they speak the truth? Because what I need is the truth. And it may be, it may be possible that God lets somebody who doesn't act lovingly speak to you because nobody else would, and God loves you. Because he's in control of your circumstances. Even the bad messenger is under the control of God. So I need to hear the truth because I need the truth. You need the truth. We need to be a place where people speak God's truth to each other as the natural, normal flow of, of life, not an abnormal thing. So let's communicate truth that helps people see things from God's perspective, helps people live under God's authority. Let's pray. Lord, please help us to grow in this. I thank you so much for uh, the good things that, that are happening, even on this regard. People gathering to pray together, to encourage one another, to speak truth, 
Uh, Lord, we're, we're so blessed with formal teaching. We have great people teaching God's word and classes and, and gatherings uh, all throughout the church. Uh, we have been so richly blessed, but Lord, please keep what is a strength in our congregation from cultivating a weakness that we leave the truth speaking to official context and, and we don't have the regular, regular practice of sharing what you're doing in our lives through the word, of, of encouraging others through, through the word, of, of trying to build each other up by speaking truth. And, and Lord, would you just help us each to resolve in our heart to make uh, regular deposits of truth into the life of the people that we love around us and be ready with a word that encourages and points people to Christ. And, and so, Lord, do this work, we pray. Strengthen us in our commitments to prayer and the word this year, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.